You know, one of the things I'm realizing more and more with them, they have way too much time on their hands, you know? Like, we need to give them something more to do. Well, uh, one thing that uh, they uh, did come through with on that video, only one, but, uh, and it's this, that I think for a lot of us, we think financial freedom comes right down to the math. That if we just get the numbers right, if we crunch the math together, that uh, we'll be financially free. That if we just get the math right, everything will be fine. That you can have White Castle hamburgers for life, you know, if you uh, just get the finances correct. Well, over the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about uh, how to become financially free. Because one of the things that I've realized more and more uh, as I've been a pastor is that people uh, don't talk about money, but they sometimes drown in the midst of debt. And so I've been praying over the last uh, week is asking God that some of you might have your bells rung and that uh, you would be really committed towards working towards a life of financial freedom. And uh, the concern that I have really isn't just for you as adults, but it's for your kids too. Because one of the things that I've uh, noticed and realized is that uh, whatever the financial home that you are in, whatever you're in, if it's out of whack, that typically what happens is kids pick up on that wackiness and then they pass that on to their kids. And if we're not careful, it can be like a generational curse a bad money management that goes from one to one to one, and all of a sudden everyone kind of uh, gets hurt in the midst of that. On the other hand, if uh, people actually take the focus and they work on a God-oriented way of how they deal with their finances, in the same way, those kids can come and they can go, Ah, I want to do money like my dad did. Or I want to do money like my mom has shown me. I want to do money in managing it the way that my parents did. And that thing can be passed on from generation to generation to generation. And all of a sudden, it's a very beautiful thing. Now, some of you right now are here for the first time. And you're like, all right, it took me all this guts to like come here for the first time. And I pick the Sunday that they're talking about finances and money. And we do one series every single year. We uh, focus on finances because we want people to be financially free. We don't want anyone uh, who's a part of the jar to be drowning in debt. But if you're here for the first time, I just want you to know that after this series, for the rest of the year, we talk about scrapbooking and sex. So, it may get a lot better after this, okay? So, you'll have to wait and see. Now, um, let's go on. And uh, I'm, talk- I'm calling this Beyond the Math. Beyond the Math. But uh, I want to kind of take that word beyond, and I want to put it aside for a second. And I just want to talk about uh, the side that is math. Because I think a lot of people think that managing money is all about math. It's just 
stone-cold numbers. You get it right, and you'll be okay. You get it wrong, and you're going to pay. I think a lot of people think that if they just get their budget down and they get all the numbers and everything together, that life is going to be free and everything will be fine. I mean, because it's just mere math at the end of the day, many people think. Well, there are some financial gurus, and you could think of any number of names, that try to tell us the way we should handle our money. And they say that it's all about the math. That if you get the math right, it's going to work. So they kind of give us these five basic laws of money management. And it's kind of across the board, financial planners will focus in on this. Now, financial planners, uh, the first law is the law of earning. The law of earning. That we have to earn something. And uh, financial planners are brilliant in this. This is what they usually say. It's pretty tough to get good at managing money if there isn't much money to manage. Are you with me? People make millions of dollars on books that they sell and they say, well, it's pretty tough to get good at managing money if there isn't money around it to manage. Basically, what they're saying is that income helps. It really helps. So much so that if you are a numbers-only kind of person, financial planners will tell you, you've got to get really serious about earning all that you can earn in this lifetime. If you have to sign up for a second shift, if you have to work towards a promotion, if you have to locate to another city... For $5,000 increase, do whatever you can to increase your income. Because a higher number is what's most important. It's always better than a lower number. It's all about the math. More income, they say, is better in all cases than less income. Here's the second law to money, money management, and it is the law of spending. The law of spending. Now, this isn't rocket science either. Maybe you've seen this kind of chart before. But basically, what financial planners will say is, is that if you uh, kind of have a graph like this, the most important key is, is that you get your income to start going up and to the right. That's your income. And the only thing you have to worry about is that you keep your spending underneath your income level. So that's spending. And this little area that's right in here, we call it margin. And as long as there is some margin between the income that you have and the spending that you're spending, you're good. That's all that matters. You're fine if there's some margin. Here's the next law, because if you don't have margin, you can't do anything else in financial planning. Here's the next thing. And it is the law of savings. The law of savings. The reason you need the law of savings is because these math-only people will say there are going to be emergencies. You're going to get sick. Maybe you'll lose your job. Maybe you'll be disabled. So you have to have a little nest egg there. 
And they'll say, you ought to try to get that savings amount to whatever emergency you think might come your way. And again, though, it's just a hard number. And then after you've achieved that, the financial planners say that uh, what you should do with your math is you should actually go and you should invest. The law of investing opportunities. So they will say that once you have this level of margin and you've saved some, then what you need to do is you need to start investing that money to a point that it grows. You've heard this from financial investors, right? They always say, this is the key to investment. And it's really cool that instead of you working for your money, you allow your money to work for you. Yeah, you. In an investment, the money works for you. And people who are financial investors, they're like, oh, pumped up about this. They're like, oh, you got to do this. And then they talk about this thing called compound interest. It's like magic. And all of a sudden you see these numbers. You know, if you just did this, and, and I admit it's very impressive. For instance, let's say on your 21st birthday... You come, and rather than going out and getting trashed, you decide to take $3.50. And you say, I'm going to take three fifty every single day until I get all the way to 65 And three fifty today, what, what, what's that buy? Like half a Starbucks, right? You don't even get a full... What is it? Latte, wing day, wade, you know, I don't know what they're called. But it's the smallest one. It's like three, maybe that's just the sugar at Starbucks. I don't know. But you don't get much. But let's say you do this 350. And let's say, just to make the number easier, let's say that you go ahead and you invest $100 per month. Never any less, never any more. Just 100 bucks per month. And you do that from age 21 to 65. And let's say that you get a return of 7% on some interest-bearing account. So you never give more than 100 a month, never less, but you just do that. And you come down here to your 65, and uh, what I'd like you to do right now, I'd like you to whisper to the person beside you what you think that amount will be if you saved $100 back in an investment they got 7% over this time frame. Okay? Go ahead. Okay. Here's the amount. It's $355,000 with the compound interest. Just a hundred bucks a month if you did that from 21 to 65. Never anymore. And what financial planners, these math types, they'll say, why wouldn't you do that? Why would you not do that? So they'll pump you up about investing. Finally then is the last law that they talk about, and that is the law of giving. The law of giving. Now here's where number folks kind of get whacked out a little bit. 
they get a little bit funky about these things. Because numbers only people realize that if you give money away, what happens? You don't have as much to invest or to save. And it's kind of counterproductive to your goal. So most financial planners are down on this whole concept of giving. Not all of them across the board. I mean, if you give it away, though, you can't see this thing grow. Because if you give your money away, then you're either going to have to earn more or you're going to have less. And so financial planners come right out and say it. And some of them might kind of keep it behind, but they'll say, it's dumb. It's dumb to give your money away. It's dumb to give. Only stupid people do that. Smart people don't give their money away. Only stupid people do. So apparently, there must be a lot of smart people in the United States. I just looked this week and found that, uh, what do you think the average adult who lives in the United States gives away, percentage-wise, on an annual basis? So, kind of whisper to the person beside you. What do you think that percentage is that they give away? Okay? Well, the average that the... U.S. citizen gives away is 2.5%. That's it. They keep all the rest themselves, but they depart painfully with 2.5%. So then I did some research about Christians. Because surely, you know, Christians are a lot better than that. I mean, they have a generous God who has given them amazing grace who has provided for all of their needs, who says, I have a home for heaven for you. And so, again, just whisper to the person beside you what you think the average Christian gives away financially. Go ahead. So, here we go. 2.5%. Is the average American that gives away. And Christians, though, they really whap it up there. 3.8% of their money that they give away. And so, when you see this kind of thing, you just begin to wonder, what is it that we're doing with math? Because if it's a math-only kind of thing, it's dumb to ever give anything away whatsoever. People who are just by the numbers, kind of math-only kind of folks, they say it's just not smart to give your money away. Well, those are kind of the five laws for uh, money management across the board. And what I want to spend the rest of our time doing is uh, being able to Look at these five laws through the lens of two plans that uh, you can kind of approach of how you're going to use your money, how you're going to look at that. Now, the question I want to ask is, is your current money management approach more of a math-oriented thing 
Should it be, or is it different? So let's kind of look at these through that. And the Bible says this. It says, we walk by faith, not by sight. Let's read that together. We walk by faith, not by sight. Folks, those of us who call ourselves Christ followers are those who have a personal relationship with Jesus. We have to look beyond the graphs and all of that kind of stuff. Because no matter how smart those people are, it is not just about the math. So we're going to go ahead now and we're going to look at two different plans that you can choose from. And uh, the choice really is up to you through the lens of these five things. One is what I call the personal math-only plan. It's just about the math. And the other is God's beyond-the-math plan. God's beyond-the-math plan. So let's look at these five laws through that. First, uh, let's look at earning. We said that one of the five money management things is earning. And so let's look at that through the math-only plan. In the math-only plan, it says that the highest value that you have is compensation. How much can I be compensated for what I do? And so it says, go out and find the best job that you can find. doesn't matter if you like it or not, but whatever the best job is that pays you the highest amount of money. And find the best benefits and track that job down and jump into it and do it. Now, if it causes you to travel all the time, if it causes you to relocate, if it causes stress on your family, if it causes you to kind of ruin your health a little bit, it doesn't matter because compensation is the most important thing. That's what math-only folks say regarding earning. It's all about compensation. And the Bible is like screaming out, time out, time out, time out. Because God's plan that is beyond the math says that the final and highest value is not about compensation, but the highest value in God's beyond the plan is your calling. Your calling from God. Finding your calling is the key. (coughs) Now, I hate to say it, folks, but we all have to earn some money. Every single one of us. We have to work. The Bible tells us we should work. But you should do so only after finding your calling. And if your calling doesn't compensate you as much as some other jobs that you could uh, do, don't bail out on what God has given you. The Bible says that calling is much higher than just compensation. Do you believe that? Some of you are like, I don't know. Do you live that way? Do you spend more and more of your time looking at what job I can get next so that I can get paid more and I can have more benefits? Or do you find yourself saying, what I really got to do is start asking God, am I working the calling that you have on my life? God, am I where you want me to be? By gift, by talent, by, by uh, you know... My passion, but God, is this where you want me to be? 
And then the Bible teaches us a very strange principle that is way beyond the map. It says that if you trust God and you follow the calling on your life, you might not get rich, but God is going to supernaturally take care of all of your needs. You may not get rich, but He will enrich your life with surprises and gifts and supplies and protection in ways that you would never get from Him if you were just going for the math only kind of thing. Going for the bucks, no matter what the cost. You know, there's a woman in our church who um, has her bachelor's degree um, and uh, she has been in advocacy for um, women and children for uh, most of her adult work life. And uh, she had been uh, working in the court system and kind of moved her way up in there and had been getting paid very well for what she was doing. And then after a circumstance of different things in her life, uh, she just didn't feel that same prompting and call and so um, she took a half kind of pay cut and she went ahead and said, I still want to be an advocate, but I don't want to be in that political government kind of world. I actually want to be with women and children who are hurting and going through things. And so she jumped into that. She, it's only a part-time gig, but it's the calling of her life. And so she's jumped into there and started working in the midst of that. And again, now she's got half the pay, half the time that she's kind of doing things, but she's being called by God to kind of do this because she believes that this is her calling. And I just learned a couple of weeks ago that the organization now has seen how much she's done and their whole kind of purpose now is how can we increase her to a full-time position where she can have those benefits and that kind of thing, and all of a sudden she may be exactly where she was before, but now, folks, she's doing what God called her to do. You know how many people would love to go to work every morning and to feel like, this isn't about the pay for me. This is a fact about the fact that God is telling me, this is my thing for you. And I think it's an amazing story because she was more concerned about calling than she was compensation. Again, math people, numbers people say it's all about compensation. Beyond the math folks say it's about calling. Well, what about spending? Now that math-minded people have this kind of earning thing, what about spending? What do math-minded people think about that? Well, let's say that a person has an addiction to jewelry. They're just buying jewelry all the time. They can't afford it, but they're just buying it. Or they're a shopaholic. Maybe they drink too much and they spend too much. But the reality is that people who are math-minded people don't care about what you do as long as you give me some margin. You can spend it on whatever, and if your life is going down, it doesn't matter as long as your spending is a little bit less than what your income is. In the math mindset, it is about consumption. 
consumed by consumerism. If there's a margin, we can work with it. Now here is where God who is beyond the math looks at things very differently. And he says that I see that you're being consumed by the monster of more. You know what the monster of more does, right? More, 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 more. I just got to have more. It's like the cookie monster, but it's the monster of more. More, 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 more. You have more. You know what that monster is like, right? You open up the magazine and you look at it and you go, I got to have this. I can't live without going to this place. Or you drive by a car dealership and you see the car that they have out front and they go, ah, man, if I could drive that, I mean, I'd just be like, boom, boom, you know, I'd just be, if I could have that. And then you go into your neighborhood and you look at your house and you're like, ugh. But you go to this other neighborhood and there's a house there and you're like, oh, man. If I had that, woo! You know, I live in a garbage dump. Man, if I could have that. And you know what it's like for some of you when you're tormented by that spirit? When it just feels like you're just spending and it's out of control. And that's the math mentality. Now, the God beyond the math cares about why you spend what you spend. And so he sends the Holy Spirit into people's lives who are getting consumed by spending. And he says, Holy Spirit, I want you to convict this person of contentment. Because that's the beyond the math approach. Contentment. Do the contentment job on them. Lead them into contentment. Show them that their life can be full and satisfying and filled and wonderful. And they don't have to be greedy and drool over things and be so consumeristic about stuff and stuff and more stuff. Show them that what they have... Can you guys handle this next word? Most Americans can't. It's kind of like a curse word. God looks down and He says, Show them that what they have is enough. It's enough. That the car that I'm driving is enough for right now. That the house or the apartment that I'm living in is enough for now. That the clothes that are in your closet are enough for now. Paul, the guy who wrote over half of the New Testament and is considered to be one of Jesus' closest friends, said this. You want to keep this close at hand. He says, I don't have a sense of needing anything personally. I've learned by now to be quite content whatever my circumstances are. God longs to give a spirit of contentment. That whatever the circumstances, that you can look in the mirror and say, no, I'm content. And folks, when you start managing your money kind of God's way, before long, you walk around and you're like, I don't need that. I don't have to have that. I don't have to put that on my charge card and swallow more debt. 
I don't have to have this and not give to the church. I can actually say, enough. Now, I know some of you really battle with this. There are more people here that battle with this than what they know. And um, I want to kind of give you a challenge this week. Here's my challenge. If you struggle with spending, take your wallet or take your purse and leave it at home. Pull out your driver's license so you don't get pulled over. Get in your car and drive to the mall. Stay at the mall for an hour. And if the mall isn't your trigger for spending, whatever it is, Walmart, whatever. But go and go into each store and look at the things that you are like, ah, and look at it and think about it. And then look at it and just say something like this. I can be wildly happy without that. Now, don't say it out loud because people will think you're a freak, you know. (laughs) But just start going through the entire store, whatever the things are that you think you can't live without, and say, nope, I can be wildly happy without that. My life can be full and free without that. I don't have to dream about it. I don't have to wish about it. I can, be, I can be able to say, I have enough. And then come home and realize that when you get home and you haven't spent anything, you just attained spiritual freedom. You have enough. The math mindset says, you know what? It doesn't matter what you spend your money on. And God says, no, I care. I care. It's about contentment. Let's look at savings. Now, in the math-only plan, the focus for savings is, and this camp will tell you, that the reason you need to save is because there is going to be something fearful. It's going to strike your life. It's going to be catastrophic. Some kind of catastrophe is going to hit. So you should worry about, do you have enough savings? And you should worry about it a lot. Because you are not in this thing alone. When your catastrophe strikes, no one's going to be there to bail you out. You're in it alone. So a lot of people get really worried and freaked out and they start planning the savings for their life. Now let's contrast that with the beyond the math kind of approach. And the savings kind of verse for the Bible in Proverbs 6. It says this. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Considers, consider its ways and be what? What's it say? Wise. Does it say be filled with anxiety? Does it say be stressed out? Does it say store up more stuff and stuff and stuff? No. It just says, be wise. The ant has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. Folks, the the motivation for saving money should never be fear and paranoia and anxiety, but it's wisdom. Now, it's true, folks, that almost all of us will have some catastrophe that will hit us. I'm sure the people in Japan who were living in big homes a couple of months ago never in their farthest thought that a tsunami was going to come and turn everything upside down. 
Most of us may not hit a tsunami, but a financial tsunami may hit our lives. But you're not alone in it. You will never be alone in it because God walks with you no matter what you go through. And if you don't have the right number in your savings account at that time, God is the God beyond the math. He can move numbers around. He can change things. He puts body of believers around that help you through times. So yes, put some savings aside. It's important to do. But do not do it with the spirit of fear and anxiety, but with the spirit of wisdom. Well, let's compare the two plans with the next kind of thing, and that is investing. Investing. For numbers only kind of people... Math only, folks. People will tell you, you need to get X amount of money. And you need to do this and that with it so that you can win in or win on earth. So that you can win on earth. That you cross the finish line and you've actually won. I mean, you need to hit some magic number. And once you do that, then you can take it easy. Because the goal of life, folks, is to take it easy, right? And to be retired. And you've seen people do this before, haven't you? They spend their whole life working and they're like, I'm just waiting for retirement. And as soon as they retire, they get fat and their brain kind of turns to mush. And all of a sudden they start talking about where they're going to go to dinner at 10 o'clock in the morning, right? Because the goal of life is retirement. It's nowhere in the Bible, but for some reason, that's what people think is the goal. But Scripture has a very different mind regarding investing. And this is going to rock your world, but it's not me who's rocking, it's Jesus. Jesus said these words, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and thieves break in and steal, but store for yourselves what? Treasures in heaven. Where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. What's going on here? Well, Scripture tells us that there's kind of two investments that we have in this thing called life. One is that you do invest, and it's smart to invest in some things that will help you later on in life. That you spend some time doing that so that you can help yourself when you can't work as hard or as long as you could before. But your investments should never be your ultimate affection that you wrap your life around. Because there's a second investment, folks, that is far more valuable and important than that. And that's the investment of laying up treasures in heaven. And God's beyond the math plan. It's about laying up treasures in heaven. To win in heaven. You see, you either win on earth or you win in heaven. And it's only 80 years that you can win on earth, but you win in heaven forever. You see, folks, it's when you make investments in the spirit world that it doesn't only multiply while you're here, but it multiplies after your life. Each month, the first Sunday of the month, we have what we call um, our bag hunger Sunday. 
We encourage people to get uh, canned foods, uh, non-perishable stuff, to come and to bring it here. And after Christmas, I got a letter from the Salvation Army, and they wanted to thank you guys. We put it in the program, but I thought I would just thank you. That because of our church, 419 families had Christmas food on their tables because of what you guys were generous in doing. And every time, folks, that you bring food on that first Sunday of the month, God sees it and He says, I'm putting a treasure in heaven. You're winning in heaven. I'm storing up those treasures. Now, when you do that, folks, you don't win here on earth, do you? I mean, how can you ever win when you go into a grocery store, you buy groceries, not for yourself, and you give it away? You lose. You lose money. But God says one day, someone will be in heaven and they'll come up to you and they'll go, you'll never remember this probably. But on Christmas of 2010, my family was down and out and all of a sudden we had food that arrived at our home. And you made the difference for me. Many of you uh, know that we uh, send uh, mission teams to Mexico. We've been doing this uh, since we started the JAR in Tijuana, in some of the poorest places in Mexico, where, mo- where some of the people just kind of live and they make their living in uh, garbage dumps. And throughout the years, whenever I would go back, or sometimes they'll send me letters, they'll actually, uh, residents there will say things, and they'll say things like, thank you for building me a new house. It's a shed for us, but for them, it's a new house. Thank you for building a playground for our neighborhood kids so that they had a place to be. Thank you for providing medicine for my family. In this last trip, uh, they went and they were in a landfill, and um, while they were there, the medical team uh, had this emergency. A guy comes up And he has a piece of wood that stuck all the way through his hand, all the way up to his wrist. And when they get there, there's no medical care really for that person. And he could have pulled it out, but who knows? Infection may have came, uh, you know, uh, gangrene. He could have lost his hand. But there were some people who took some investment. It cost them 900 of their own dollars to get on a plane and to take care of their food and to get off of work and to fly all the way to Mexico. And they did that. But one day, they'll, they, don't, they, they may never see this man again, but one day in heaven, he'll say, look at my hand. Because you reached out your hand, my hand is healed. Folks, some of you get this. Every time God gives you more income or a blessing, you don't immediately take it and spend it. You don't immediately take it and save it. You don't invest it in your IRA. But you hold it up to God and you say, God, here it is. What do you want me to do with this? If you want me to put it in my 401k, I will. But if you want me to give it to the church, if you want me to give it to the Salvation Army, if you want me to give it to a missions team, God, whatever that is, I'll do that. Because I don't want to win on earth, but most of all, I want to win in heaven. 
And so many of you are getting this and you're living this financial freedom. Can you just imagine if 200 adults, that's usually what we have, if all 200 adults, every time we got anything more, we just held it up to God and we asked that, how much He would not pour out the blessings from heaven upon this church? One final thing before we close. The last thing is giving. Giving. Now this is really what delineates the mere math people from the beyond the math kind of perspective. As I said earlier, the math only kind of perspective say giving is dumb. It's dumb to give. I mean, you hurt your cause every time you give. I heard a financial planner actually say that one time. You hurt your cause Every time you give. And I have a feeling that God is uh, up in heaven and He's like, Excuse me. Excusez-moi. You actually achieve a greater cause when you give. Did you know, folks, every time you give, things are released in your brain that create more happiness and joy. It's a medical study. Giving is an act of defiance against greed and envy and covetedness and hoarding. I mean, every time that you give, you're like, take that greed. Take that selfishness. Take it. Did you know every time you choose to give, you bless a broken world? And God receives honor, and His name is made great, and giving transforms your life. Giving is transforming, not dumb. It changes your life. It's like that story, you know, of a, of a caterpillar who goes into a cocoon, and then all of a sudden, we don't know how it works, but what does it become? A butterfly. It literally metamorphosizes, it transforms into something more than it ever could have been as it gives itself to the risk of getting into the cocoon. You know, 2,000 years ago, the church, when it started, it said, there is a way that we're going to be able to care for each other. And the way we're going to do that is everyone will take a percentage of their income and they'll give it to the church so that we can care for the needs of others. And they said, at first we'll start with 10%. That's a great place to work up towards, to be a part of. But some people, sometimes they're like, you know what? God has given me so more, I can give more than that. You know, folks, the kind of thing that never happens with math-only minded people is they don't give. But to beyond the math people, the concept of giving is like, cool. It's like, God now, as I give, He's going to resupply. He's going to surprise. He's going to protect. He's going to provide. And you begin to say, this is far beyond the math. And it becomes what I've found to be the greatest adventure of my Christian life, is knowing how to give what God has already given me. It's all His anyways. How can I distribute that away? Before I close, I'd just like to uh, throw up on uh, the screen here a check that I got back in uh, 2007. And it came from a woman in our church whose husband um, had died. 
And uh, after her husband had died, he had actually met Christ right in one of the seats where you're sitting right now. I don't know which one it is. But he accepted Christ in one of those seats. And uh, she got this life insurance settlement. And when she got it, she, um, she easily could have just invested it, saved it, spent it, whatever. But I remember her coming to me. And she said, Jim actually found Christ in one of those seats. But that seat was so hard. So I want to get padded seats for people when they come and they sit. And we marked out the numbers because it was several thousand dollars. But the seat that you're sitting in now is because she gave out of a sense of joy and transformation. And when she gave this to me, she had tears in her eyes, but it was like this joy. I want to release this. It was like this freeing experience. And she was not tied down by greed or, my husband died and I deserve this and I'm going to keep this and affluence. She was able to be a beyond-the-math kind of person. And so I just wanted to leave you by asking you these questions. Is what do your checks look like today? I wonder if there are treasures that are on earth or are they for treasures in heaven? I wonder if you're on the math-only kind of plan, or maybe you're on the the beyond-the-math plan. Remember, the math-only plan, it's dumb to give. Beyond the math, God says, Hey, hey God, I just want you to know, it's your program. This is yours anyway. I want to be a beyond-the-math man. I want to be a beyond-the-math woman for the rest of my life. I want to do this thing your way. And that's what this series is going to be about. And some of you right now are like, I'm not coming next week. (laughs) But I'll tell you what, there's a lot of you that you, in fact, you should put it in your day timer. Because we're going to talk about climbing out of debt. And I know the pain of debt because I've been there before. And I want to try to help you through God's Spirit, to know how to climb out of that. So let's stand for closing prayer. Father, it's always amazing to me how easy it is for all of us to say, God, you can be in charge of everything in my life. I trust you with everything. And I speak this from experience, God, but it's hard for me sometimes to say, God, I trust you with this amount of money that you've given to me. And God, I pray that through these next couple of weeks that we would not say, "Ah, I'm not going to do that, but God, we would press in. And you know I've been praying for that, God, that people would come here and that they would begin the road of financial freedom. That whatever step they need to take, God, and sometimes we look and we go, Oh, there's a million steps for me to even get out of debt. 
rather than looking like that, say, God, help me take the first step. Just one step. And all of a sudden you take one step and then another and you begin to start working it out. And all of a sudden God really does jump in in the midst of that. And we get this freedom to live beyond the math. So, Father, as I asked earlier, I pray that you would ring the bells of some of the folks who are here today. That you would remind us that you love us, but that you would remind us also, God, that we only live once and that we want to live in the freedom that we can regarding our finances. That we would live beyond the math and look forward to what you have in store for us. So God, guide us this week. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's have the prayer team come up. If you need prayer for anything, feel free to do so. And the Financial Freedom Course starts next Monday. So uh, sign up today. Thanks.